0: If you can't answer the question, why should you get paid or why should it be done by you with this patient, then you need to start doing some reflection on what occupational therapy is, what it means to you, and what it looks like to you. Because we can't adequately educate others on what OT is or why it's important if we don't understand it ourselves first. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hey, it's Clarice Grody. Welcome back to the Amplify OT podcast. Today, we're talking about skilled services and what exactly it means to provide skilled occupational therapy. Now, I know I have, and I'm sure pretty much every OT or OTA out there has documented something along the lines of the patient would continue to benefit from skilled occupational therapy services or skilled occupational therapy intervention. But have you ever really stopped to think about how exactly do you know that you're providing skilled services? Or what exactly does it mean to provide a skilled service? Is it just that, well, I'm a skilled clinician, so therefore what I do is skilled? Or what exactly makes me a skilled clinician? Well, lucky enough for you, we're going to answer those questions today. And you may have to forgive my voice a little bit today. I do have a cold and if things get a little bit silly, we'll just blame it on the day quill. So if you're a long-time listener of the Amplify OT podcast, then I'm sure you will be shocked when I tell you that there is actually a definition of what is skilled services in the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual. Now, you may find yourself asking, why is it really that important that something be skilled? Like, why does this matter? A lot of it comes down to, well, billing and money, right? Healthcare is a business, regardless of whether we like that or not. And so it comes down to billing And that question of why should you get paid? Why should they pay you to do what you do, especially when you cost a lot more than someone else? So full transparency, when I worked in acute care, I got, oh, I don't know, somewhere around like $35 to $38 an hour. They were paying our techs and our nursing aides less than $15 an hour. So the question becomes, why should the OT get paid two to three times what the tech is doing if, in their mind, it looks the same. Or even this, when I was working PRN and I was making $45 an hour and they upped our techs to 15 I was literally making three times the amount that that tech was making every hour that I worked. So you better believe that my company wanted three times the value out of the work that I was performing. And if you were paying that person, wouldn't that be how you would think about it? At the end of the day, our healthcare facilities are trying to perform two simultaneous tasks that often can have conflicting priorities. One task is to try and provide high-quality care and good patient outcomes and a positive patient experience. The other one is to remain, you know, fiscally responsible. Now, when I worked patient care, I hated that term, fiscally responsible. But, especially now as a business owner, I do appreciate it a little bit more because ultimately, when you think about it, your company can't pay you if they aren't making enough money in the first place, right? And it's not just about paying the employees. It's also about paying the bills, paying the rent, especially if you're renting a clinic, paying for all those gloves and hand sanitizer and all these other little things. Think about all the things that you use every day. All that reimbursement is going towards paying for all of those little things. As well as the employees. So it's not a surprise when therapists are often the ones who are being questioned as to why should you get paid? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because we're expensive. So that is why it is so important to know why what you do cannot be done by anybody else, and why you have to make sure that what you're doing meets that definition. Not only one, so you can make sure that you're billing for services that are actually billable, because if you're billing for services that aren't skilled, that's a problem but also to make sure that you know how to justify and articulate why what you're doing is so unique and valuable and why it should be paid for. So today we'll be reading from one of my favorite policy manuals, which is the Chapter 15 Benefit Policy Manual, which covers everything Medicare Part B. But this same definition is also used in our Part A setting, so no worries there. Now, for reading the legalese of the Medicare document, here is how they define skilled. Quote The services shall be of such a level of complexity and sophistication, or the condition of the patient shall be such that the services required can be safely and effectively performed only by a therapist, or in the case of physical therapy and occupational therapy, by or under the supervision of a therapist. That's talking to OTAs and PTAs. Services that do not require the performance or supervision of a therapist are not skilled and are not considered reasonable or necessary therapy services, even if they are performed or supervised by a qualified professional. Now, I promise it reads a little bit easier on paper, which is why we do have a handy-dandy article to go with this podcast, but let's go ahead and break it down. So let's take the first sentence. The services shall be of such a level of complexity and sophistication Or the condition of the patient shall be such that the services required can be safely and effectively performed only by a therapist or by an OTA or PTA who are being supervised by a therapist. What this is talking about is that what you're doing can only be done by someone specifically with your training and your expertise and that the patient is complex enough that those services still continue to require your education and expertise. And where this gets complicated and where this starts to require what we know as our clinical judgment is that there are certain things that may be considered skilled for some patients, and the same exact intervention may not be considered skilled for another patient. So let's give an example. Now, the easiest example, the one that I always like to hate on, are home exercise programs. Now, if you have someone who is post-op just out of their shoulder replacement surgery, just out of whatever surgery they may have had, which is usually why you're seeing them an outpatient. Let's say you have them, you're issuing them a home exercise program, you're training them on how to do it, you're applying modifications, you're grading the task, you're saying, you know, this is what's within your precautions, this is what's not in your precautions. That would be an example of something that's a skilled service, right? It requires your unique training to know how to cue them, to educate them on the proper range of motion and the proper grading of that task and what they can and can't do based on their precautions. And then, you know, let's tie in some OT and you're doing... Some other stuff that involves, you know, some ADLs and how you can, they can adapt their daily living to their new precautions. That is a skilled service. Now, let's say that patient is three months post-op. You know, they're fully free to do whatever they need now. You've already told them about their new home exercise program. You've already told them that they don't have their precautions anymore. And now they're coming in twice a week to do the same exercises the same way. And you're just kind of moving through the motions. That would probably start to be where we're talking about something that isn't skilled. So something that used to be skilled, right? Providing that home exercise program, supervising them, performing those exercises, those sorts of things, adapting the plan of care, skilled service. Now it looks like similar interventions, but it's no longer skilled because what you're doing does not necessarily require the skills, the education of a therapist to complete. This is something that we commonly hear described as if you can teach it to someone else, then it's not really skilled anymore. So if you can teach it to a caregiver, to a friend, to the patient themselves, whomever it may be, then you shouldn't continue to be doing it because it's no longer requiring your unique skill. Now, obviously, there is some nuance here, and this is where it requires your clinical judgment as a skilled clinician. Another classic example of something that may be skilled for one patient but not for another is, let's say, my acute care evaluations in the hospital. Now, obviously, if I have patients who are medically complex, have conditions, contraindications, that automatically is pushing me into that skilled evaluation because as soon as that patient's getting up, they're moving around, all those sorts of things, I'm providing cues, I'm providing education. I am using my unique training and knowledge to best adapt my plan of care, my interventions to that specific patient, and I'm formulating a plan. That is an example of a skilled occupational therapy evaluation. Now, I would have other patients Where as soon as I walked in that room, you know, let's say, I mean, who knows what they're in the hospital for? But as soon as I walked in that room, you know, I asked them their name, whatever. I ask them, do you know what happened? They're telling me, you know, I understand that I can't do these three things anymore. That I've got to do this. And I say, okay, well, let's get up and move around, see how you're doing, make sure you're safe to go home. They pop up right out of bed. They take their time. They know their precautions. They use the walker correctly. Ambulate to the bathroom. They perform their ADLs. Maybe I provided like one cue and even then it was mostly just to make myself feel better, that's probably not a skilled OT evaluation. Now again, there is nuance in this example. And nothing that is said can be applied with a broad brush. You have to take each individual client that's in front of you at what their story is. Because I definitely had some patients who did not need occupational therapy. I really didn't provide them any education. I just kind of reaffirmed what they already knew and I really maybe spent like 10 minutes in that room. More likely than not, I may not have charged them for an occupational therapy evaluation because I didn't feel like I actually completed an occupational profile, nor that I actually enhanced that patient in any single way. I just supervised them walking to the bathroom, just like any tech or caregiver would have done. But there are other patients that maybe they did move around really well, but we spent some time going through education, going through more of their occupational profile, their home performance, you know, asking lots of questions, providing a lot of that disease management education, medication management education, all those sorts of things, that's where we start getting more into that skilled service, right? Because it required my education and my training to be able to provide them with that kind of education and customized plan of care for when they discharge home. So those are just some examples. And I promise by time this is over, I will provide you with some concrete questions to ask yourself to help you determine whether or not you're providing a skilled service. But before we get to those, because I mean, I don't want to ruin the ending, let's go ahead and finish breaking down that statement. And we'll do that right after this quick break. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses. And that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AmplifyOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code. Amplify OT. That's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support Amplify OT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code Amplify OT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting Amplify OT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So, by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. So the second part of that Medicare statement is services that do not require the performance or supervision of a therapist are not skilled and are not considered reasonable or necessary therapy services, even if they are performed or supervised by a qualified professional. So this is where it becomes very clear that just because a skilled clinician, so OT, PT, speech therapist, OTA, PTA, just because a skilled clinician performed the activity or performed the intervention does not automatically make that intervention skilled or billable. Now, if you find yourself asking after all of this, what exactly does Medicare consider as a qualified occupational therapy practitioner? Well, let me tell you, they've got an answer to that too. And I think this is actually an important phrase for all of you to use, especially when there's these ideas going around out there that another clinician can screen for the need of OT. I find this especially happens in home health, where they're using someone who's performing the OASIS to identify whether or not OT can be, more often than not, removed versus added to the order. Let's go ahead and keep this phrase in our back pocket. So, in the Chapter 15 Medicare Benefit Policy Manual, it says quote, Only a qualified occupational therapist has the knowledge, training, and experience required to evaluate and, as necessary, reevaluate a patient's level of function, determine whether an occupational therapy program could reasonably be expected to improve, restore, or compensate for loss of function, and, where appropriate, recommend to the physician or NPP a plan of treatment. So, right there in that very long sentence, Medicare is recognizing how unique and valuable our skills are and stating that we are experts in identifying whether or not our services will actually help patients improve, restore, or compensate for a loss of function. And it's also important to note that Medicare here is specifically identifying that we are experts in function. So, you know, all those like functional scores and functional quality outcomes that Medicare has been using. Well, this is a pretty good example that they think that occupational therapy can help those things and we can use that knowledge to explain that to our companies as well as to our patients. Now, I also want to highlight here that it states that a qualified occupational therapist is the knowledge, training, and experience required to evaluate. So, a key part of what makes us skilled is our knowledge our training and our experience, which is why evidence based practice is about so much more than just research. It's also about your experience that you've learned over time of how to adjust your plan of care to best fit that patient's needs. And to put it in simpler language, what I want you to think about is would someone, you know, some stranger off the street or your mom or whoever it is who isn't an OT or an OTA, would they have done things the exact same way that you did? Would they have set up the environment the same way? Would they have provided the same kind of cues? Would they have provided the same kind of activity analysis and grading of that task to fit that patient's needs? And I'm gonna guess a lot of times the answer is no. And this is where I think that clinicians tend to undervalue their skills and as a result, underbill for their time. Because, and now I want you to listen to this, Just because it's obvious to you does not mean that it is obvious to somebody else, especially without your experience and your training, right? When I am having someone perform my personal favorite intervention, brushing teeth, I consciously set up the environment in a specific way, right? In acute care, I always had a chair behind the sink because I know that people tend to get tired while they're standing and I was not going to have someone fall on me. So I set up the environment a very particular way. I also would set up, you know, their toothbrush or their toothpaste, maybe on both sides of the sink to try and test, especially if they had a stroke, to look and see if they had any kind of one-sided neglect or a vision deficit. For certain patients, I would or would not unwrap the toothbrush. You know, for my total knee patients, I just didn't want to watch them struggle. But for other patients, I would purposefully leave that toothbrush wrapped, you know, in that awful pesky little wrapper that they come in to see a patient's problem-solving skills, to see if they had fine motor control, to see how exactly they manipulate that item. You're evaluating whether or not they're doing appropriate utilization of instruments. So in safety control, I mean, all these sorts of things, all these things that are constantly running through your head. That's that activity analysis, that task analysis, which is what makes occupational therapy practitioners so unique and amazing is that task analysis piece. As you can tell, I could go on about just brushing teeth and any intervention that we do for days. But all that stuff that's going on in between your ears, in your brain, all the time that you just become second nature because you do it constantly is a skill, is a training. I guarantee you that someone else without that training wouldn't think about how they're setting up environment, wouldn't think about whether or not they're providing a general cue or a direct cue or if they provided multiple different cues or how they did that or how they might approach the task or how they set up the environment that is what makes it skilled so if you are doing all of those different things then that's a skilled intervention so i think there is definitely some situations where we are undervalued by people who don't know what ot is but i think there are also definitely situations where we may be undervaluing ourselves because we assume that because it's obvious to us it's obvious to everybody else. I mean, shoot, something as simple as when someone has hemiplegia that we recommend that they use a shampoo bottle with a pump instead of like a squeezy shampoo bottle, that's not obvious to everybody else, but it's obvious to us because of our ability to perform task analysis and identify the supports and barriers to a task. So if there's one thing you take away from today, it is to not undervalue your skill and to really start thinking about, wow, what is it that I do that's really quite impressive that makes me separate from every other discipline. Frankly, I don't think it's the ADLs or, you know, our occupation-based interventions that make us so different from any other profession, because let's be honest, if a patient needs to go to the bathroom, whoever's with them should take them to the bathroom. But it's that activity analysis, that problem solving, the way that we think about a solution that's holistic, because we're not just thinking about the biomechanical that's a part of it, but we're also thinking about the mental health, the cognition, you know, that functional element, the way that we think about how something is done as occupational therapy practitioners is different from any other practitioner that I have ever met. So it's not the ADLs that make OT unique. It's a component, but it's the way that we think about problems. Okay, so the last part that I want to leave you with today is how... Medicare especially says that you should document your skill because we hear that all the time. Document your skill. But yet we never really quite received the guidance on what documenting our skill looks like. And I guarantee if you went out and pulled 10 therapists or 10 practitioners and asked them, how do you document your skill? You're probably going to get 10 different answers. So here's what Medicare has to say about it. Quote, a clinician may not merely supervise but must apply the skills of a therapist by actively participating in the treatment of the patient during each progress report period. In addition, a therapist's skill may be documented, for example, by the clinician's descriptions of their skilled treatment, the changes made to the treatment due to the clinician's assessment of the patient's needs on a particular treatment day, or changes due to progress the clinician judged sufficient to modify the treatment towards the next more complex or difficult task. Now, that's a lot of words for saying that you need to document how you graded a task for that patient. That can look like cues, modifying the environment, making the task more challenging by having them stand instead of performing it sitting, or providing more or less assistance. Documenting those sorts of things are ways that you can document how you modified an intervention towards the more complex or difficult task, or if the patient's conditions required it, that you downgraded a task, that should be documented. That is a way of documenting your skill. Because trust me, we have all seen those disastrous transfers either by someone without our training or by a family member that did not appropriately grade the task based on that patient's condition. Either they were over-helping them or, and more often than not I find, under-helping them. Or they didn't set up the environment right. Like a classic example, I think about this, is having patients scoot to the edge of the chair. That's something that's so obvious to us as therapy practitioners, that we have to have the patients scoot to the edge of the chair in order to put them in the appropriate positioning, in order to be able to stand as independently as by themselves. And I see so many other clinicians and family members try to have patients, especially those with cognitive deficits who don't do it automatically, try and stand while they're sitting fully back in the chair. But we would never have them do that. Because of our training and our knowledge about how to have a patient perform the task that is maximally effective. So, if it's helpful to you, I want you to think about all of those things that you think are automatic, like having someone scoot to the edge of the chair, having them put one hand on the walker and one hand on the bed, educating them on hip precautions, or recommending adaptive equipment as appropriate, or cueing them on pursed lip breathing, or marching in place to help elevate their heart rate. I mean the list goes on and on and on of things that you probably do every single day with your patients that just start to feel automatic like I always use a warm washcloth to help my patients wake up because I know it's an alerting stimuli and it helps me make friends but that's a skill because I am using my education and training in sensory integration to know that a warm washcloth is an alerting stimuli and if it's really if they're really out a cold washcloth right that's super alerting but that's something that I did with every single patient That not only allowed me to kind of assess some of their self-care, their ability to move their arms and problem solve and know what to do with with an item, but also was using my education and sensory knowledge to help that patient have a more active participation in therapy that day. So again, another example of something that I did every single day, all the time, that probably wouldn't have been done without my education and knowledge. So here's the takeaways that I promised you for today. When you're thinking about whether or not what you did is skilled and billable, which there's other components that make it billable, but skill is definitely one of the main ones. I want you to think about these questions. Number one, did it require your training? Could it have been done by someone else without your knowledge, without your expertise, without your training? So I want you to think of someone, someone who doesn't have your training, a parent, a friend, whoever isn't a clinician, and think about would they have done things the same way that you did? Probably not. Second, I want you to think about, is this something that could be taught to someone else? Prime examples of this are home exercise programs. So if what you're doing could be taught to the caregiver team, so whether that be the nurses or nursing aides, family members, to the patient themselves, whomever it is, if it can be taught to someone else, then you need to teach it to someone else, because if you just continue doing it that way, it's no longer skilled. And lastly, I want you to think about, whether or not you documented that skill. So did you do more than just report what happened? Which EMRs, your electronic medical records, are really only set up to report what happened, not to necessarily report on the skill that was provided. Now documenting skill doesn't mean that you have to document paragraphs upon paragraphs of what happened. It just means that you need to have something in there that indicates why it needed to be performed by you versus somebody else. And a lot of that comes from you understanding that yourself. So if you can't answer the question, why should you get paid, or why should it be done by you with this patient, then you need to start doing some reflection on what occupational therapy is, what it means to you, and what it looks like to you. Because we can't adequately educate others on what OT is or why it's important if we don't understand it ourselves first. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for future episodes on these similar topics. We're definitely going to do a future episode on what does it mean for a service to be reasonable and necessary, which is that other component of making sure something is actually covered by Medicare. It doesn't just have to be skilled. It also has to be reasonable and necessary, which can, for usual, very vague. But that's an upcoming episode that we'll review. And I think there's a lot of other topics. So I would love to hear your feedback. Email me. Send me a DM on Instagram. Tell me what you thought about this podcast. Let me know if it helped you. And of course, if it did, please consider leaving a five-star review of the Amplify OT podcast. This helps me and helps others find the podcast who need this in their life. All right. Well, thank you so much. And please, if you take anything away from here, know that you are a highly skilled professional and what you do brings so much value to the healthcare system, to the patients, and that you deserve to have a seat at the table and know that you are the expert on occupational therapy. So go forth and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Have a great one. If you made it this far, I wanna just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast and I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely gonna love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?